and you're listening to Square One, a podcast where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and executives at the cutting edge of business. And I'm your host, Ramin Shah. Childcare is fundamentally shifting. The share of households where both parents work is up nearly 20% over the last 30 years. It's still, however, limited by offline tools. It's why this week I was excited to have Sarah Moskoff, CEO and co-founder of Winnie. Winnie is a marketplace for childcare built on powerful data systems and backed by a trusted community of parents and providers. Parents use Winnie to discover high-quality local daycares and preschools, and childcare providers use Winnie to fill their open spaces. Winnie was started in early 2016 when Sarah became frustrated with the long search to find childcare for her young children. This conversation was one of the most fun and genuine we've had on the podcast. Sarah talked fundraising while pregnant, why Winnie is for all parents and not just moms, equality in the workplace and equality at home, and what keeps Sarah down to earth maintaining perspective while running a high growth company. Sarah, welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Sarah, really excited to have you on the show today and, and dive pretty deeply into Winnie, um, especially in light of the recent Series A announcement. Congratulations on that. You know, I'd love to get your perspectives on the space, you know, operational lessons from really founding to scaling a high growth company. But before that, tell us a little bit more about your background and the journey to founding Winnie. Yeah, so I started my career at Google. Uh, which was uh, an amazing job out of college because it kind of felt like an extension of college. Um, I was uh, kind of a hybrid product manager, partnerships person uh, at Google and got to work on Google and YouTube and a bunch of exciting stuff. Uh, It kind of got me interested in product management. Um, So I joined from Google, I joined a small startup at the time called Twitter uh, and that was a great uh, four years that I spent at Twitter. I got to see the company grow, go through hyper growth and IPO, um, sort of a, a once in a lifetime career opportunity to, to see that level of, of growth at a company from the inside. Um, and from there, I wanted to experience kind of being on a leadership team of a company and, and growing a team kind of from the ground up. So I joined Postmates. Um, work there as their head of product. Um, And it was while I was at Postmates that I became pregnant with my first daughter. Um, And, you know, I I took a short maternity leave um, and came back to work and and didn't really expect anything to change. I thought I'd dive right back in and keep doing what I was doing. Um, But I realized a couple things. Uh, One being that I really wanted to work on something that affected me personally. And at the time, uh, I really struggled with being a working parent and uh, also having all these responsibilities at home. Um, But secondly, I also realized that this was not just affecting me, this was actually the majority of of US households now do not have a stay-at-home parent. And uh, so it's, it's the case now that we're really stretched. We have more responsibilities than ever at work and at home um, and not not a lot of help. And so I was speaking with a co-worker at the time, Ann Halsell, who's now my co-founder at Winnie, um, who's also a mom and had two very young kids at the time. Uh, and we realized we, we could solve this. Um, and if not us, like who was going to do this? Uh, so we quit our jobs and we started Winnie in January of 2016. 
And so tell us what Winnie is. You gave, you alluded a bit to the, you know, to the impetus for how you came up with the idea. So tell us what Winnie is and, and uh, fun fact for the podcast, why you named the company Winnie. Yeah, so Winnie helps parents find daycare and preschool. We're a marketplace for childcare. Um, and it really came out of the fact that, that childcare is no longer an optional service for this generation of, of families. Uh, the majority of us need at least some form of daycare or preschool um, early education. And, and there's not a single place to look for it. In fact, there's not any place to look for it. It's still very much found through word of mouth and piecing together a bunch of sources. And so Winnie brings all that information into one place. It brings all the providers onto one platform. So you can easily see who is open spaces and all about their programs. Um, we came up with the name because we liked it. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we thought uh, it was easy to, to say and spell. Um, but most importantly, we could also get the domain winnie.com. Um, and it was important to us, you know, we wanted to build not just a platform, but also a brand that parents would remember and be able to access easily. And so being able to get that like short domain uh, was was pretty critical and sealed the deal on the name. Yeah, let's let's take a step back and, and talk about the addressable market for Winnie and specifically, you know, why Winnie is for parents and not just for moms. You wrote an article, women won't achieve equality in the professional world until dads achieve equality as parents. And I, re I really love the piece. And, and a part of the piece, you know, there are multiple parts of the piece that struck me, but one, you know, one part in particular was really this idea that as the responsibility for parenthood becomes more equal, you know, in our generation, uh, men have been traditionally locked out of this resource base and community on how to parent. And I thought it was interesting specifically because it took the perspective also not just where I think often the conversation ends of you know, professional equality, but also how to create the right ecosystem to facilitate and foster household equality. So talk a little bit more about that and then you know, the implications for the reach of Winnie. Yeah, so it, it was really important to us from the beginning that Winnie is a platform for everyone who cares for children. So that's moms, it's dads, it's people who don't identify as either. It's also caregivers. Um, so the providers that are actually providing this care, um, the people who are watching our kids for many hours a day also need information and resources and tend to be locked out of a lot of these groups and communities uh, that have the best information and resources, which is really a pity since they're the ones uh, in many cases, raising our children. Um, so we really wanted to be as inclusive as possible. Um, and I, I am just a big believer that, uh, you know, if we, if we care about women's professional equality, we, have to have to, we also have to look at, you know, who is taking on the majority of the work at home um, when it comes to raising children and also a lot of this other labor that, goes along with raising children, but isn't necessarily quality time that you're spending with your children. It's, you know, researching the camp to go to because preschool is closed for a week in the winter. Um, and that burden in a lot of households falls on women, um, both because of all these, you know, gender stereotypes and roles 
Um, but also because the information uh, can sometimes be locked away in these groups or these networks that are only accessible to women. Um, and so I, I face this problem firsthand. My husband is a stay-at-home dad um, and you know he, he wants to take on all of this stuff. Uh, but a lot of times like it is, you know, there's a mother's group that might have access to some key piece of information. And so I have to be the one to take on some of this work. And so we, we didn't want that to be the case with finding childcare, such a key critical piece of infrastructure for families. Like it needs to be the case that anyone in the family can, can find these providers um, and connect with them. One of the aspects I've, I found interesting when you've you know, historically discussed uh, retention, you know, which of course is, is the mark of how powerful your product is, is, is what lever you focus on. You focus on utility, uh, which, which I thought was interesting and unique. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so retention is a tricky one, um, especially with like full-time childcare, because it is not something you need every day. Uh, in fact, like if our product is working well, like hopefully you find childcare and then you don't need it for a period of time because you find something you're happy with. Um, so we look at a couple things. We look at retention of the providers on our platform. Um, the, the thing that is true about daycare and preschool providers is they always need new families as children age out of their programs. Um, and so we want to make sure they are constantly engage with Winnie and building their wait list and uh, doing all these activities that will help make sure their business is, is really thriving. Um, but then we also have built this community for parents uh, because our audience is primarily parents of, of kids ages, you know, five and under. Um, and so they have a lot of other, other things that they can be helped with. And so our community is more of the the tool that retains parents on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. Uh, they can ask questions and get advice on other parenting topics. Uh, and we find that's useful because parents actually do this childcare search more than once. Um, even if you find your like infant care, you may need a, a different toddler care, different preschool, or you have a second child and your needs change. Um, so it is, it is actually useful to think about retention of our parent audience as well. Uh, because we want to be top of mind for them when they're doing their next child care search. And how have you thought about, talk a little bit more about how you've, you know, you've thought about utility across a wide demographic of user base. So, you know, parenting in San Francisco, you know, or New York is obviously very different, you know, than parenting elsewhere in the country. And so as, as you've thought about making a product that is most widely applicable um, for anybody that cares for a child, right? How have you been able to balance building for a broad base while also, incorporating you know specific elements that make sense for certain geographies um, because i'm sure you know that that latter aspect obviously adds you know to the strength of community so how have you thought through kind of that balance yeah um so child care is a pretty universal need which is nice um you know in the beginning of building winnie we did a lot of different things and we hadn't really honed in that child care was like the one thing that was pretty universal for all families, everyone needs some childcare or early education. Um, even if you have a stay-at-home parent, um, actually, especially if you have a stay-at-home parent, you do still need childcare at some point, um, whether it's a, a preschool program or just like literally a drop-in option so you can 
go to a doctor's appointment or have your own sick day. Um, it is a pretty universal need among, among parents. And the issue is that a lot of families are locked out of childcare. It's not affordable. It's not accessible. It's too hard to find. It's not high quality enough. Um, and so part of, you know, being able to reach a national audience was figuring out that childcare is this universal use case. Um, it, and actually it's, it's really even true beyond the United States, even though the United States is our, our focus right now. Um, and, and so like, I, I think finding the thing that could change lives and could change lives for all families, even if the needs may be different, whether you're looking for full-time care, part-time care, drop-in care, um, it all kind of boils down to the same need that you do need childcare some of the time. What's, what's been the biggest learning for you from all, you know, as, as you get more providers, as you get more folks onto the marketplace, you know, obviously there's a significant amount of data and I'm sure interesting insights that are, that are coming to bear. What's been the most, you know, counterintuitive one and, and how has that changed, you know, the course of, of, uh, of building the company? Yeah, there's a lot I didn't know about childcare uh, before I started working on this full time uh, for the last almost four years. Um, you know, one thing that's become really interesting now that we have so many users and so much data on their search behavior um, is the the interest in drop-in or more flexible care offerings. Um, you know, the market today for group care is really around part-time and full-time care. Um, and even the part-time care is pretty rigid and typically costs, you know, even for 50% of the hours, you're paying 75% of the cost um, because providers have trouble filling their excess capacity. Um, and, and so parents, but parents are, are more increasingly not working traditional nine to five jobs. They want more flexibility in their jobs or they do shift work or they're working on the weekends. Um, and so the group care that's available is not necessarily matching up to the needs that parents have in real life with the jobs they're working. Um, and so there, you know, we have, we see that through the searches on our platform um, that there's this gap between like what parents actually need and what providers provide right now. And how have you thought about if we, if we kind of go back to the, retention piece right or, or or the utility of the product you know one of the one of the traditional challenges in marketplace businesses like winnie um especially ones that are connecting um connecting people that form kind of deep relationships of trust etc is you know if i think from a personal perspective of, of getting a care a caregiver or provider or so um that that's a relationship that i would look at kind of in my rolodex of saying you know aha i've, I've kept them that's that's different than a marketplace business like an uber where you know you're walking in and each ride is its own transaction where you know the specificity of the time the location etc trumps how do you how do you think about kind of building that base and, and kind of preventing marketplace leakage what are what are those aspects that actually do give that sense and strength to the community to keep people on the platform yeah i mean it is really about so the 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 way we make money is from providers. So it's daycares and preschools that have open spaces to fill that are using our platform to reach an audience of parents. Um, it's not it's not the parents that are paying us. I mean, they, they're they sort of paying indirectly, but 
hopefully we're actually saving the money because we're making it much more efficient for providers to reach them. They don't have to spend marketing dollars on Facebook, reaching an audience of unintentional parents. They're, they're spending on, on really intentional parents looking to enroll. Um, so providers do need that constant source of new families in their programs, uh, and they need those things efficiently so they can focus on caregiving. Most providers are not marketers full-time. They are, they are caregivers, and that is their skill set. Um, and so when we think about like retention in the marketplace, it's really about retaining that audience of providers uh, and making sure they're they're getting really high quality parents through our platform. Um, the, the parents are going to be likely new families. Like, and this is also the, the interesting thing that we're finding is like even uh, schools that have been around for a while and have strong word of mouth with families um, are finding that that is no longer working as well as more parents turn to the internet to look for care. They turn to Google and they do a Google search. Um, and that, that is how we get most of, most of the parents who find us, find us through Google. Um, and so really it's about making sure providers, uh, are, are seeing the value in the families that we're sending them and, and need more constantly, which is just kind of the nature of the business anyway. I want to, I want to transition, uh, a bit to talking about know, lessons learned, really running the business over the past four years, right? And if we if we take a step back, you've talked about, you know, the importance of having a strong network versus, you know, just being heads down and doing good work. Let's let's kick off with that topic. Give a little bit more perspective on that and how it's impacted your journey at Winnie. Yeah. So one of the things I think I I didn't value enough when I was working in jobs before starting a company. Uh, was the people I was working with. Um, I was really always very focused on doing amazing work for the company. I was a product manager. Um, so it was all about shipping product and making sure those products performed really highly. Um, and, you know, fortunately, I, I think I was pretty decent to work with and people enjoyed working with me and my energy. Um, I was always very passionate. Um, but I didn't focus on, you know, necessarily like taking time out of my day to help someone with a problem they were facing because I was very focused on my own goals and the, the things I was being tasked with delivering. Um, and I think if I could go back in time, I would have emphasized that more, the, the relationships with other people, helping other people, um, in addition to doing great work and being focused on my own goals. Um, but it turns out like that the interactions that I had with other people along the way are the most valuable part of the work I did at all these companies. Uh, people don't necessarily remember that the experiment I ran produced a 25% increase in engagement among Twitter users, <laughs> um, but they do remember how they were treated by me and did they enjoy working with me and did I, you know, help them do their job better. Um, did I inspire them? And those are the things that uh, have helped me today, like raise money for my company, get customers for my company, um, get uh, employees, a um, bunch of people who joined, you know, have, have either worked with me or worked with someone who worked with me. Um, 
And so I, I wish I, I can only imagine how much better I would be today if I had spent even more time on that because it was, it was kind of an afterthought um, to think about the people I was working with and how I was impacting them. How have you continued to think about, or, or what are the aspects that you've thought about um, when it comes to your own, you know, just personal development and your own personal scale as Winnie grows, right? It's, it's something I've, I've thought a lot, a lot about, especially in my own career. I mean, when before, you know, running the organization I run, I was at McKinsey. I mean, I imagine the same for you at Google and Twitter. There was just a whole set, you know, of resources and infrastructure. Um, and, and there were kind of benefits of, of the fit into a system, right? Now, when you're, when you're leading your own organization, right? You've, you've got no boss, I've, I've got no boss. Well, I, I like to say that our bosses, I guess, are the market, right? Yeah. But you very proactively have to think about, you know, your own um, development and not really just for development's sake, but really for scale's sake, right? I mean, as, as, as you go through each juncture, you know, of your organization and, and you're growing it, there's a, you're, you're kind of firing yourself and, and picking up a whole different type of job, right? So how have you, how have you thought about that you know, over the last four years? And, you know, especially, you know, raising, you know, a significant amount of money, you know, this year itself, um, you know, for the years to come in terms of how you deploy those resources. Yeah, I mean, if you learn really quickly, uh, starting and scaling a company that it's not really about what you can do, but about the people that you can inspire and motivate uh, to both work for you and invest in you and use your product. Um, and so I, you know, have not shied away from being the dumbest person in the room most of the time. Uh, definitely when it comes to my employees, uh, I am the dumbest person in the room um, and the least expert on pretty much any topic now. Uh, and, and that's awesome. Like, I, I think that is what makes the company successful that I don't feel bad about hiring people that are a million times better than me that could do my job better than me um and uh you you have to be able to do that um and you have to be able to recruit and motivate those people uh that that is like you know becomes 90 percent of your job is like uh having other people do great work not having yourself do great work so it's it's a pretty big shift from what I was used to as an employee. Um, but I think that that is an important shift to make as a CEO. What are the organizations, you know, and or the, the leaders you've really taken uh, inspiration from um, as, as Winnie has scaled? I, I think the nuance is exactly right, which is the biggest actually personal shift for me was this idea of moving from doing the work yourself to really you know, if you're doing, if you're doing the work yourself, it's actually a, not a good indictment at all, right? You should be having the right people and, and frankly, better people doing that specific work. What, what are the organizations, you know, and or the leaders that you've, you know, specifically taken inspiration from as, as you've grown the business? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we decided to do with Winnie was build a really different kind of company, pretty different from any organization we had ever worked at. Um, and my co-founder and I really wanted to do that on purpose both because we had this hypothesis that we could actually be a lot better um, by, by running a company this way, um, but also because this was like the only thing that, that could work for us and be sustainable. And so we kind of pride ourselves on being really, really different. We're a super family-friendly organization. We work um, pretty uh, ridiculously short hours for a startup. Uh, <laughs> 
and we kind of require our employees to do the same. They, they don't work nights, they don't work weekends. Um, and that is like, because we, we value the time we're spending with our families and the time that our employees are spending away from work. Um, and our big believers that people can't actually be productive for that many hours in a day, especially engineers. Um, and so it's, it's a lot better uh, for getting the maximum productivity out of them and also for recruiting and retaining top talent um, to give people really, really good work-life balance um, and really, really good benefits that are not about uh, kegs in the office uh, and happy hours, but are about, you know, healthcare, childcare, <laughs> spending time with your families, parental leave, uh, th those sort of things that, um, can, can recruit and retain uh, the, the kind of experienced uh, hires that, that we're looking to make here. And I have, to, I have to imagine that that's been a competitive advantage from a recruiting perspective and just, I have to imagine kind of a huge boost from a cultural perspective as well. I, I completely agree with you from the perspective of this kind of idea of taking, you know, brass tacks, startup perks, right? Kegs, happy hours, this, that, and the other is, it's just, I'm a firm believer that that's not really what employees want at all. Um, and I have to imagine, especially, you know, in the space that you're in, I mean, even if you forget the space that you are in, I think the way that you're defining the culture is, is fantastic in its own right anyways. But I, I have to imagine for a product that's, you know, kind of living and breathing, making life easier for families, that from a cultural perspective, it probably has a pretty interesting implication on the organization you're building. Yeah, it has a huge implication and also means like my leadership doesn't look like the leaders I've worked for. Like when I get up in front of the company at 10 weeks pregnant and tell everyone I'm having my third child, uh, you know, I don't have a model to go after. Like I've never experienced a leader who's done that before. Um, let it be a CEO or like literally any boss or leader above me and so you know I'm writing my own rules uh, and that's hard but uh, it's also kind of empowering because it's it's doing what what works for me and I feel like uh, setting the right example and tone for my company. How have you balanced it with just the the outside pressure of having raised venture capital right I think you know when I when I take a step back I mean the business I'm leading right now is is not venture backed, it's fully funded off the balance sheet and there's their own, you know, kind of pressures or challenges with growth, right? But at the same time, you don't have kind of the artificial constraint of, of external, you know, capital stakeholders, right? And so how do you think about kind of that balance of, you know, the very intentional culture that you're setting with the very realistic, um, you know, pressures or pieces from, from being a venture backed business? Yeah. So. First, I think we've done uh, a really good job of finding investors who are really aligned with both our values as a company, but also like believe in us as founders. Um, part of that is like the, the investors who don't kind of self-select out, they see two, two female founders and they're like, uh, I have all these biases, I'm gonna peace out now, um, especially when you raise uh, and you're always pregnant when you're raising. <laughs> But yeah, like I, I literally raised my, my seed round while in the third trimester of my pregnancy with my second child and I raised this series A. My co-founder and I were both pregnant. Um, so it, it helps weed out people who are not gonna be aligned with you. 
Um, but also like, I think it's a lot about just having confidence in yourself and your business and what you're doing. Um, and the results kind of speak for themselves. And anytime there are doubters, I just like to remind people that we've, we've gotten this far and we know what we're doing. Um, and that, uh, they, they have to just have, have a little faith in us that we're, we're going to figure this out and, and do it. It's a it's a fully loaded question what I'm about to ask, but I I think it's I think it's just it's absolutely crazy that that becomes a criteria of any sort of doubt or any sort of impetus on making a investment decision. I I don't expect you Sarah to list out every thought of why that's the case, but just from your perspective, especially as you've gone through the fundraising process, and I'm sure you know have run into investors where you know they they weren't necessarily aligned or so what. What needs to change in tech from an impression perspective, et cetera, you know, for that, for that not to be, you know, a, a decision marker or frankly, a conversation topic in the room? I think, you know, one of the things that uh, I would like to see change is just getting, I mean, there's, there's so many women across time who have done incredible things while pregnant and raising children. Um, but often that is that is not the focus. And I actually got quite a bit of criticism um, for our Series A press uh, from people saying like, why are you highlighting your pregnancy? Well, first of all, uh, you don't get to write your own article. Um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, you give a bunch of talking points and the press writes the headline and the article as, as they'd like, as they think it will be the most uh, uh, well received. Um, but also like, I, I think it is, it is a chance for me to be out there and, and show that like, yes, we are pregnant, we are raising kids and we can do this all at the same time. Um, it is, it is not something you have to hide. Uh, and I think until it is completely the case that like 50% of founders are mothers, um, that we have to keep getting out there and, and showing that this is totally normal and visible and doesn't slow us down. You've, you know, as a, as a final question, as, and as we you know, round out the conversation, Terry, you've, you've had a number of highs and lows, you know, running the company, um, you know, unique lows and, and kind of challenges, especially with, you know, your husband, the cancer treatment he went through reading your story online was, was, was candidly, it was so inspirational to me. And it's quite frankly, one of the reasons I, I really wanted to have you on because of you know, how important of a story it is to tell as well. And, and you know, I'd, I'd love if you talked a bit about the experience. And of course, you know, feel free to go into as much or as little detail as you're comfortable with, but of just running a startup and going through major life circumstances at the same time. I'm, I'm curious, you know, what it's all meant for you, how it's shaped your outlook on your journey, you know, both at Winnie and in, in life generally. Yeah, so whenever I like talk about how how hard it is, how hard it was for me to have a husband going through cancer and running a startup, my husband always like makes fun of me, like you didn't have cancer, Sarah, you you were fine. Uh, so I I can't pretend it was as as tough for me as it was for him. Um, but yeah, shortly after founding Winnie um, in 2016, uh, I had a, a my first daughter was a baby. Um, and uh, my husband had what I think most people would describe as like the man flu. Um, for a couple months, he was complaining about this cold that wouldn't go away. Um, 
and I was kind of ignoring him. Uh, turns out it, it wasn't the man flu, it was cancer. Uh, and so uh, he had to like undergo pretty intense chemo. Um, and uh, it was, you know, not a fun treatment for him. Um, but it was also like, you know, not particularly easy for me either because I just um, started this company and raised some money and hired a few employees. We hadn't even launched our product yet. Um, I also was a first time mom to a new baby. Um, and so it, it kind of felt like there was absolutely no way I was going to do everything. And I just remember like crying to a friend of mine when I first found out about his diagnosis and like, I was like, well, he might die, but also like, I'm going to have to shut down my company <laughs> somehow in my head. Like those were equally, uh, weighing on me. Um, but, uh, no, like, so what happened was I, I kind of stepped away from the company for a little bit of time, um, helped make sure he was getting the, the proper treatment. A lot about cancer treatment is just getting the right diagnosis and making sure the right, uh, you know, labs look at what you have and diagnose it correctly so you get the right kind of chemo. Um, and uh, also got a ton of help, made, made my mom kind of fly across the country and live with me for a period of time while he was going through this um, and kind of solicited any, anyone that, that wanted to owe me any favor. Uh, they were all called in during that time. Um, and, you know, he, he got through it. He's been in remission for a few years now. Um, and most importantly, like it, it just put everything in perspective for me. Like there is really literally nothing that can phase me as long as my family is moderately healthy. Um, and uh, that is like my bar for being upset about anything now. So it, it, it has made the, the journey of, of founding a company uh, a lot smoother because I, I just don't get upset by anything. Like I can get a million rejections from investors and worry about how I'm going to have money in the bank tomorrow, but I'm just like, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll just talk to another investor or start making money or do something. Like I, I have very little that I, that keeps me up at night when it comes to my company. Um, as long as my, my family is healthy, that is like, really the only thing that can stress me out at this point. Sarah, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to make the time. Thanks again so much for joining us and really enjoyed having you on today. Thank you so much for having me.